everybody. We're going to get started. Thank you for coming and joining us today. Um, this is part of our One Book program and also part of our program um, with the Democracy Commitment on campus, uh, our Celebrating Latinos program, where we're talking about a range of issues around um, politics, culture, um, everything uh, connecting to Latino Americans. Um, Part of that today, we are going to transition, talk about higher education, and talk about undocumented students, which I think is a, a key topic that, of course, interests us who are working here and directly impacts many of our students' lives, as we've heard through other events. So we are very happy to have Maria Luna Duarte here. She's from Northeastern University, uh, Northeastern Illinois, Illinois University. University yes. Sorry, um, and uh, is the director of the El Centro uh, campus. Campus. Yeah. So you'll and you'll talk about what that is and some of the work that they're doing that I think um, offers a lot of leadership. So with that, thank you for coming, and thank you all for coming. Thank you all for um, the invitation, and um, a special thanks to Aurora sitting here. She was on me about getting the paperwork in. So um, my presentation is a mixture of um, personal, I am also a doctoral, a doctoral candidate at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and my research is about undocumented Latino students specifically and social capital. Um, I, I, I was undocumented myself as I was growing up in Chicago. I came at the age of nine, um, not by choice, obviously, like many of the students that are here right now, although I didn't consider myself a dreamer. Um, but after growing up undocumented um, for approximately 20, uh, 20, I would say like about 20 years, well, 20 years, you know, here in the country. And I was able to adjust my status because I was able to get married. Um, and my husband adjusted my status, but it wasn't that simple either. Um, I went through a lot, and I think I'm interested also in a topic myself because um, it was because of the assistance that I received through uh, education, uh, the gatekeepers of education, that I was able uh, um, to complete my bachelor's degree uh, in sociology. And so I became interested in this topic after I got my master's degree. And now, um, hopefully, I'll be graduating next year. And I'm also um, working with Dr. Roberto Gonzalez from Harvard, who has written extensively on the topic of undocumented students, mostly in the Southwest. And my research is a sub-study of his research project, where I'm focusing specifically on two uh, populations, um, here in Illinois and in Arizona, because of the complexity that, um, that, that we have within the policies. Um, Illinois is considered a friendly state, right? Uh, towards immigrants, whereas Arizona is completely on the, on the opposite end. So I'm going to start with a um, brief outline of um, undocumented, even though uh, you may hear um, about, you know, like undocumented, sometimes people are still unaware, so I'm just going to give a brief overview. Um, so um, this is the presentation of my, uh, this is the outline of my presentation. An overview of the problem, uh, some of the barriers of undocumented and documented uh, students face. Uh, what is the impact of these barriers? What are the Illinois policies that are in place and also policies that are right now um, being um, fought for, like the student access bill? Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that if you want to get involved. Um, there's also available resources. And how to be an advocate for, for students. Um, undocumented refers to foreign nationals who came to the country um, either by legal means, right? Um, they came to the country with a tourist visa and then they overstated. So then they become out of status and they became undocumented. Um, they could have also come on a work visa or they could have crossed the border without inspection. DACA, uh, how many of you have heard of DACA? 
So DACA um, is a deferred action for childhood arrivals. It's an executive order that President Obama passed um, in order to provide undocumented students, primarily those that were in college or pursuing a degree, um, access to a work permit and a social security number. You know, many times we have um, this idea that, oh, you know, like you could, um, and I, I actually got a lot of this myself as I was growing up, like, um, you know, when I would, I mean, it was very difficult for me to uh, come out as being undocumented, particularly in high school. That's when most of the research says that, you know, students uh, find out that they're undocumented. Um, others know since they're little, right, because their parents tell them, like, no, don't tell anybody that you're undocumented because otherwise you're going to get reported, deported. So then they grow up with this fear. Um, so ADACA um, allows students that are they are pursuing either a GED, a ESL program, or they are in college to apply for a work permit and a temporary temporary um, block their um, deportation, and they're, so they're protected for a period of two years. It also allows them the flexibility, at least in Illinois, to get obtain a social security number and also uh, driver's license. It, not in all states, uh, because even though there's DACA, the federal, as you know, there's many complexities within like federal and state regulations, but at least in Illinois, we do, um, students have the opportunity once they obtain their work permit to obtain a social security number and therefore obtain um, an ID. A little bit about my research. Um, in recent years, immigration policies have shaped the academic and personal development of undocumented children and youth. Um, as you know, um, how many of you are aware of the case of Plyer versus Doe? So Plyer versus Doe um, is a case that actually challenged um, the uh, challenge the access of undocumented children and the Supreme Court the, to K through 12 education. And the Supreme Court ruled that no, you could not deny access um, to undocumented children from K through 12. However, nothing was ever decided with regard to um, post-secondary education because uh, I guess they never thought that like children would go beyond uh, 12th grade level. So, uh, but more recently, maybe like 10, 20 years ago, um, when we had immigration policies that have become more stringent, you know, before we had the sort of notion uh, for immigrant families that they would go back and forth, right? It was um, easier to like cross the border, like even, you know, undocumented. Now it's no longer um, that simple, right? And also additionally, like, you know, people brought their families over, they made a community, you know, they, um, they invested many times in, in homes. Um, then you also have families that have a mixed status, you know, where the parents were actually documented, citizens, but then the children are undocumented. So there's a lot of complexity within those issues. Um, so children and youth, um, is children that uh, came perhaps like when they were babies or it started growing up, then, you know, they wanted to go to college. And access, you know, although there's no federal regulation that prohibits access to higher education for undocumented students, there are also no laws that said, like, yes, we could give access to undocumented students, right? So um, we started seeing a lot of movement from uh, activist youth that wanted to get access to higher education. And a lot of the work um, of this access and even regulations and policies that have been passed, like DACA, is because of the work that undocumented student activists have done. Uh, risking deportation for themselves and their families. Um, so there are approximately 1.1 to, uh, 1 .1 to 1 1.4 million undocumented children and youth under the age of 18 residing in the U.S. 
And every year there's about 65,000 undocumented students who graduate from high school throughout the U.S. It is estimated that about 3,000 of them are actually graduating um, high school in Illinois every year. Although um, the estimates are really difficult to get because as you probably know, at least administrators here, uh, you don't track them, right? Which is good because, uh, well, good in some ways and not in others, given that um, institutions don't wanna track them, right? Because you don't wanna attract, um, like, you know, you don't want eyes to maybe get into the system or um, and come and deport the students. However, it's also bad because we don't know like how well students are progressing, right? Or what are the, the types of things that they actually need in order to make progress because they are a minority population. Um, they are underserved, mostly. I mean, children of undocumented parents have approximately like a 40% um, poverty rate. They're in poverty, you know, a 40% poverty rate. Um, and also, um, and this poverty rate is about, um, compared to 17% of native-born children. In addition to that, they also face additional challenges. Um, the Migration Policy Institute estimates that there are approximately 140,000 young adults between the ages of 16 and 24 who are enrolled in two to four year colleges and universities throughout the U.S., while another 80,000 have obtained at least an associate's degree. Um, I'm also involved uh, a task force in, um, with the University of Illinois at Chicago. Um, they're actually tomorrow they're having um, a press conference um, to, to open up like um, to open up more like university four-year institution funds to undocumented students. And um, we were trying to do some research, right, which is very difficult, again, going, to the going back to the point that it's difficult to, to see how many students that are in the situation we have. And after like knocking the resource with our 11 state institutions, uh, we figure out that maybe there's about only like 1,500 undocumented students in four-year institutions in the state of Illinois. Um, and again, this is like a very rough estimate, you know, and like a methodology of like just calling and knocking doors in the institutional offices because they also didn't want it to release that information. And it's also different, difficult because they don't track them. Uh, so we, um, we, we suggest that probably like about the majority of these students are actually in community colleges like Moraine, like the city colleges in the, in the, in the city of Chicago. Again, this is um, a little bit of information on undocumented versus DACA. Um, DACA allows, again, temporary solution to the immigration problems of the country. Uh, once President Obama leaves office, we are not sure if that policy will stay in place because it was an executive order. Although recent research uh, by Dr. Gonzalez um, uh, they conducted a national survey of undocument, undocumented students, and they actually demonstrated that students who actually were able to obtain DACA, they were doing better off than their counterparts. So, you know, they were able to get better jobs, obviously, like access, whereas, you know, they also, it also motivated students, um, whereas before, you know, students were still attending college as soon as they were undocumented, but now having DACA, or at least a work permit, actually motivated them more to complete their degree. Uh, additionally, um, this program right now, um, although it's still in place, you know, we're not sure of what is going to happen when, um, if Obama, you know, one, once Obama is out of, um, out of office. What are some of the barriers faced by undocumented and documented youth? 
obviously their legal status. Even for those that have uh, deferred action for childhood arrivals, their legal status is still an issue. It's temporary, it's two years only. So um, you can actually, as soon as can travel out of the country for specific purposes, they could get granted what it's called advanced parole. Um, but they obviously it's a process and you can only do it for certain things like, you know, for school, like if the students are studying abroad or if they are also um, going like for work and you have to apply and get pre-approved. Um, we haven't really heard of issues um, other than, you know, like the border and customs treating students uh, not the right way, but, you know, fortunately, like all the students that at least I, I know of that have gone through the process of uh, advanced parole have been able to return with no problems. There's also, again, the issues related to uh, federal and state financial support and access to higher education. Um, although, for example, in Illinois, we are a friendly state, you know, usually institutions of higher education, um, and I'll talk more about the policies that are implemented in Illinois. Um, there are still issues, right? Financial assistance, which is the biggest barrier, even for students that, even for those that actually have papers, right? I mean, what is the number one factor that inhibits students from continuing their education? Um, financially, right? Even, I mean, Pell Grant keeps shrinking uh, MAP, the MAP grant, for those that, that are able to apply for that. Um, again, every year, we don't know if we're gonna get it or not, so imagine for students that are undocumented, it's really a burden. Many times they're actually working two or three, sometimes four jobs in order to make ends meet and pay for their education. And perhaps you may see students coming one semester and then the next semester they're actually out because they're saving money to, to, to come back and finish their degree. Also, lack of access to financial and health resources. Um, students, you know, because of all these stress, all the things that they're going through, many students face like, you know, many students have like ulcers, right? They have, um, they have other issues and they cannot get them, get them taken care of. Even those students that have DACA, I mean, they do not qualify for uh, Obamacare or the, that, um, you know, that policy uh, for access to healthcare. So many times they go with, um, you know, just remedies or taking over the counter medication or whatever um, and things, you know, get aggravated. Um, my experience with the undocumented students that I have worked with, you know, many of them have faced uh, health issues and they just, you know, um, go on with those health issues, you know, for years because they can't get access to uh, medical medical assistance. However, there are some um, there are some resources that are available, some clinics, and um, if you if the staff is interested. I can send you that list because I just learned about it myself recently. So I can send you that list because it, it's low-income clinics. So they're based on, um, on, on income. Um, also, lack of knowledge about higher education. I mean, for first-generation students, we know that um, the lack of awareness about how to navigate the educational system, it's an issue, right? Um, now imagine like being undocumented. Um, most of these students didn't have parents that went to college. so. Um, you know, and, and the system is very different here than in other countries. I also want to emphasize that even though I am today speaking on Latino students, this is not just a Latino issue, okay? Um, immigration is a very complex issue. Uh, we have had so many iterations of immigration policies throughout history. Um, and immigration is like, it's based on pull and push factors. Where are the pull factors that are bringing in people to this country, right? And pushing, um, and pushing people out of their countries. So it's a very complex issue. I don't know if we'll ever, ever be able to resolve this situation, but 
um, again, it's uh, the issue of immigration now is affecting our higher education institutions. The students also go through emotional and psychological, psychological issues because of their status. Um, again, facing anxiety, depression, living with the constant fear of deportation. I mean, just imagine like going through your life every day and that's always in the back of your head. I mean, obviously that does something to the body physically, right? And also like mentally and emotionally. Uh, these are some of the character characteristics which put these students at risk of dropping out. Um, low income, again, I said that um, undocumented student families are 40% below the federal poverty level compared to 17% of families overall. Um, they, they already attend under-resourced schools, um, so they come you know, not with an even pl playing field. Um, they work more than 20 hours a week. I mean, my experience with the undocumented students that I have worked with, they work again like three, four jobs and it's not, um, actually like DACA has provided some relief because now they're able to get at least better jobs um, that pay them, you know, whereas before they were making maybe the minimum wage, uh, now they are able to actually like, you know, get like at least 13, $14 an hour because they had the skills, they just had to either work under the table to get, you know, to get paid and make ends meet. They're also academically underprepared, just like many of our first generation uh, minority students. Um, lack of knowledge on how to uh, navigate the system. Um, they're the first ones to attend college. Um, ACT and SAT tests, I mean, we know that, you know, high schools are doing what they can uh, in order like, to help students, but um, let me just give you an example. In, well, in Chicago, after the passage of the um, Illinois Dream Act, which I'll speak about in, in, a, in a minute, um, there was uh, part of the Dream Act is that it, um, it had a provision that this is the Dream Act, right? Like the Illinois Dream Act, not to be confused with the uh, federal Dream Act, which has never passed since 2001. Um, so uh, within, within the Illinois Dream Act, there was a provision that um, said that you know, high school counselors needed to get trained in order to work with undocumented students. Um, a lot of the times, like at least what happened, uh, for example, with um, certain, um, like for example, like at CPS, they were having like all these students, right, like fill out the FAFSA. And some students, like, I mean, they couldn't do it because if you're undocumented, or even if you have DACA, you should not fill out the FAFSA. Um, and you know, like students were so getting these mixed messages. Um, now I think after three or four years that, the, that this policy has been in place, um, they're, I think they're, they're doing like a much better job with uh, not having students apply for the FAFSA, even if they have DACA. But it's still, I mean, like, you know, I mean, Chicago is, is very big, right? It's more diverse. But we don't know what's happening like in the entire state of Illinois, even at the high school level, because not everybody has access to these resources or, um, or are being trained in order to do this. Um, parental stress and uh, support. Um, again, you know, like the parents didn't go through this. They're also like facing issues either, either with work. Um, you know, many times like we hear, and I, I would hear, like when I would go, um, when I would go uh, recruiting before, oh, um, from counselors, oh, is it because Latino parents don't value education? And I think that's such an erroneous uh, message because, um, you know, every culture I think has <coughs> knowledge 
and cultural funds that are used and perhaps you know the Latino culture has different things but you know you got to realize if you're a parent that is working two three jobs to make ends meet for your family I mean obviously you're not going to be as involved and it's also um, the job of the schools to make sure that they work with parents opening the doors in different ways um, and be culturally sensitive right to be able to have um, parents come and be involved um, high expectations you know um, we oftentimes hear of the dreamers right the ones that are like the valedictorians and the salutatorians the ones that have the 4.0 GPA but I think um, at least for faculty staff we also have to be conscientious that not all these students have a 4.0 GPA I mean if you're working three four jobs how are you gonna have a 4.0 GPA you know if you're taking one class per semester so I think Sometimes as gatekeepers of education, the education system, we also have to be aware of those preconceived notions that we have um, in order to, yes, have high expectations for all, but also identify what are the areas that um, these students need supporting. Um, there's also a lack of role models. I mean, nationwide, it is estimated that only about 1% of undocumented students actually finish a four-year degree. And that's not over a six-year period, which is what we usually use to, um, to measure, right? Um, success, academic success. There's also fear and uncertainty. Although there's deferred action for childhood arrivals, we also have to recognize that there's many undocumented students that for one reason or the other, they, or because of the cost was prohibitive to apply for DACA, they are, you know, they, they couldn't apply. So they're still undocumented, you know, so they're still living in fear. They also have increased, may have increased responsibility. Um, and that comes as a result of, you know, they, they may have to help at home, help with finances, again, paying for their school. Um, and the stigma of accessing help, although, you know, we may think that it's easy for students to come in and say, you know what, like, yeah, I wanna, I, will, I, I need help. It's not that simple. I mean, um, we have to be welcoming, like as faculty and staff. Um, additionally, um, these students are living in fear. It's not that easy for them to open up and say, you know what, I'm undocumented. I need help. Um, I know in my personal experience, it was in my, in my senior year, and I had not applied to college, actually, even though I was in the honors program. and. Um, I was just so afraid to open up to my counselor, but uh, thank goodness that I opened up. And it's, I think it's important for those that provide support systems for these students that um, they are able to um, you know, help with the resources. Because if it wasn't for my high school counselor, I probably would have never gone to college. In Illinois, we have HB60. Um, how many of you have heard of HB60? Um, HB60 is, um, a law that it's called, it's more commonly known as the in-state tuition policy. And um, this policy was effective in 2003. It allows um, public colleges and universities uh, to provide in-state tuition for students um, that meet the following criteria. So they have to have attended an Illinois school for at least three years prior to graduating or receiving their diploma, graduated from high schools in Illinois, or received the equivalent of a high school diploma, GED, resided with their parents or guardians, and undocumented students need to also provide an affidavit stating that 
the applicant will file an application to become permanent residents at the earliest opportunity they have available. Um, every school follows the affidavit differently. Uh, I'm not sure you know what you guys do here, but I know at Northeastern, um, you know, even though as much information as we try to give upfront as we're doing the recruitment, it's sometimes, right, you miss that one student and then they end up paying, instead of paying $3,000 per semester, then they end up paying $6,000 per semester. We have, um, we have actually had those cases, unfortunately, but um, again, it's because of the lack of awareness and information. <coughs> and it's of October, October 2011, there are approximately 12 states that have allow laws allowing undocumented students who meet specific requirements to receive institution rates. And in 2001, actually, um, 13 states had enacted the legislation, but since then, Wisconsin revoked its law. Um, again, uh, I was, um, I'm gonna go into a little bit more detail about the Illinois Dream Act. Um, this bill is the State um, Senate Bill um, 2185, and it was signed into law a few years ago. And it, it included the creation of a dream fund commission that would establish an Illinois dream fund and would conduct fundraising for the fund, publicize the scholarship and handling of the application, and create the professional development training for high school counselors and co college personnel. And it also allowed um, like, like uh, those that are undocumented to, uh, for their parents to do a prepaid or savings plan in Illinois. However, I mean, this fund, um, I don't know if anybody can guess how many students have applied for it until this date and how many scholarships have been received? Yes. Well, you know, there we have, there's um, over 4,000 students that have applied for scholarships since the fund was received, and only 69 uh, have been awarded scholarships. And that's because, obviously, there's more of a need than there's money available. Uh, but this scholarship is great because it does fund students that are coming to a two-year um, college. I think it's about like $3,000 and $6,000 for two semesters for those that are actually in a four-year institution. There's a bill, again, that is being legislated right now. Um, tomorrow, actually, um, at 1.30 p.m., if anybody is interested or students are here, um, there, this bill is a student access bill, uh, and it would allow undocumented students in higher education an equal um, opportunity to apply for state financial aid at four-year institutions. And pretty much that just opens up the money available for like fellowships, um, which right now they can't apply for, uh, certain types of scholarships. Um, and again, contrary to public beliefs, undocumented youth, including those DACA recipients, uh, are not eligible for any federal aid, which is most, mostly most of the higher education funds, including the Pell Grant, work study, loan subsidized by the government. And, and again, the number of private scholarships is very limited. And this bill actually will not include access to MAP, which is already like a high highly contested topic in the state, right? Because of the lack of funds and the impasse of the state budget. Um, and this bill is revenue neutral and will not increase the state aid for scholarships and grants. It simply gives institutions of higher education flexibility to allocate the funds and, um, and help those that actually meet the qualification. And it is estimated that the bill would generate um, income tax for the state because obviously students would be more, um, more up to um, going to college, right? So not only going to college, but also completing their degree because they'll be able to access a variety of funds. 
Now I'm just going to move into some resources that are available currently for undocumented students. So there are many private scholarships uh, for students that do not require social security number citizenship. These are some of the examples of those scholarships. And I can certainly, if anyone is interested, send out the information along with the information about uh, the federal uh, recognized clinics that provide access to uh, low-income students. Um, some suggestions on, on how counselors and educators and social service professionals can support undocumented and DACA students. Uh, pretty much making information available to all students uh, with particular care about the status of each student because each student's uh, cases and um, each of the cases of the students is, is different. Don't ask them to self-identify. Um, actually, Northeastern Illinois University, um, I'm very happy that we work there because approximately four years ago, we um, applied, this was led by the um, Associate Vice President for Student Affairs. Um, there was a grant available within the institution that it's called the Innovation Grant. And um, it allowed for, um, we applied to get uh, an undocumented student training uh, for faculty and staff. So um, now we have actually, um, and if anyone is interested, I can certainly send a copy via email. We have a guideline and we also are go to provide training to other institutions on how to work with undocumented students. At the completion of the, of the training, which is a full day training, we actually um, came up with a little, we didn't have, we didn't bring any, right? A little um, sticker that says, um, all welcome here with an open door so that, you know, um, faculty staff, they can, or, or support staff can put it in their, in their office and then students see that available. Um, that training actually was modeled after the, the training for GLBTQ, uh, if you're familiar with that. Um, so we are, um, we are uh, um, now Northeastern has actually implemented as, as, um, a set of trainings that, you know, that go probably like different times during the month, but it's a combination of trainings for uh, like the LGBTQ, um, also the undocumented sexual harassment. So it's part of a series. So I think that's pretty innovative and I'm happy to say that we have actually come a long way. Um, something that I also want to note is that although we're dealing with undocumented students, um, you saw the statistics on the children of undocumented parents, right? That are born in the US, that are US citizens. Um, I think they're also going through a lot. Not enough research has been done on that population yet about the effects of um, their parents being undocumented, but we know um, through research that was done by um, Dr. Carola Suarez Orozco and Marcelo Suarez Orozco that they are also fading, facing, even though they are US citizens, they are also facing a lot of the issues that their undocumented um, student counterparts face as they're growing up. Again, some students may not even know about their status. These are just other issues. Again, legally K through 12 school personnel and uh, cannot inquire about the, the status of students. So you may learn that the students are undocumented only um, if they share the information. Undocumented students may not even be aware of their, of their status. And then at the college level, we have FERPA, right? It protects the privacy of students' records and information that is shared by students with college or university is protected by FERPA. Um, again, it's important to work with families early on 
to share with them the importance of attaining a higher education, help them understand higher education is a long-term investment. Uh, there, um, there are many um, students that have actually gone, be, been deported or returned back to their country. country. Um, there's actually a book that came out that's called The Other Dreamers, and um, it talks about all of the struggles that those students that used to live here in the U.S. now are, uh, particularly in Mexico. Again, some notes, reach out early as possible to all students, validate their students' experiences, no use state laws regarding undocumented students, homeless students, students facing issues of domestic violence, stay up to date on changes of the laws, advocate for clear communication of policies for faculty, staff, students, and parents, do not provide legal advice, but do connect students to community organizations that can, and connect students to on-campus advocates and students groups. Um, I'm actually at the conclusion, but I just wanted to say that, you know, through my research, which I'm hoping to conduct another set of interviews, because the first set has already been conducted through the NERP um, research study, I hope to identify how students, um, how social capital has helped students make progress towards their college degree um, and be able to attain an education because that is so important. I think faculty and staff that serve as the gatekeepers of education, uh, the educational systems are just so important uh, because you know I know we have probably, and it sounds cliche, uh, one person can change the life of a student, but it, it truly is um, what has been found in some of these cases. So um, now I'm gonna leave it maybe for some, for an open forum. Questions, comments, suggestions, or stories? So if you have questions, raise your hand and I will come and get you. Don't all speak at once. <laughs> Someone get us started once. <laughs> Documented and you went to a four-year college, you canceled all the classes, and when you graduate, you not receiving your diploma. No, that's not true. Actually, like um, you, you know. Was that thing something? Yeah, no, there's never nothing like that. Again, this is the lack of information that we have, you know, which is why it's so, it's so important to instill this information um, because not, you know, only the people that are in higher education and very well educated on these issues, you know, like. Um, no, when students are undocumented and they go to their, receive their associate's degree, they get their degree, right? Um, obviously, like, you know, unless they don't pay their bill or something, right? Then we hold it. Uh, but even like four-year institutions, you know, I mean, like students get their degree as long as they complete all the requirements, which, you know, for every institution it varies, but it's usually like 120 semester hours and then the requirements for the major and minor. So thank you so much for asking that question because it's really important. Uh, yeah, I, I know there's still a lot of misconceptions out there. Uh, the students don't get their degree or, um, you know, that their degree's not gonna be useful. It's not true. The students do get their degree and we have had, I'm sorry, that's my alarm, but. Um, yes, no, students get their degree and um, they're able to, actually we have their Loyola University um, now we have students that actually have finished their bachelor's degree, have finished their uh, master's degree, and are pursuing PhDs 
a very good friend of mine, actually, he's pursuing his PhD in uh, policy studies in urban education in my program at UIC. And um, we also have uh, very successful undocumented students or DACA students that have gone to medical school. And actually, Loyola is one of the institutions that has a program that um, works with undocumented students. And again, you know, it is important to say that this is not just a Latino issue, although I'm focusing on that population. Um, there is um, nationally, actually, from the top 10 countries that have applied for DACA, among the top five are people from, um, like, Korea, um, the Middle East. Um, so even though it is oftentimes and many times actually portrayed as a Latino issue, it is not. It is, it is an issue that encompasses, you know, different nationalities. And we have to be aware of this because, you know, there's a lot of stigmas, uh, you know, for example, with Asian students, right? Because we have the model minority myth, right? Many times they not only have the expectations from their parents, but also like in school, and they're able to less and less talk about their status. There is not, it's not so simple for them to come out to because of all the added stigmas they have. Um, Middle Eastern students, we have many Polish students too, um, and from other nationalities, so uh, keep that in mind, you know? I mean, like, a person that looks like me, you know, can be undocumented, but so like anybody, anybody, you know, from any other country. Other questions? Can you talk a little bit more about the student access bill? Yes, so the student access bill actually is something that the University of uh, Illinois in Champaign started working on, but now it has gotten the support uh, from students. And pretty much, they were, they, it was supposed to, um, actually, um, Representative Hernandez is introducing the bill with the support of other people, like Acevedo, who introduced the HB 60 bill. Um, but right now, it's like, you know, we need pretty much like all the support to pass the bill. It, it would just basically open up the doors to more financial resources because in the state of Illinois, um, you know, students that are undocumented, you know, for the most part cannot receive like state financial aid. There are, there are some states that do provide that financial aid, like Texas, right? Uh, California, we know of that because you probably see it in the news. Um, and there are other states that completely prohibit students from going into their four-year colleges, like in Georgia. Um, but Illinois is trying to be more open. So it would just allow students that meet the qualifications to apply for certain types of scholarships within four-year institutions. And yeah, and um, there's so a lot of students that are involved in providing support in, in that. And, um, the president uh, and chancellor of UIC and other people are actually uh, supporting the bill, um, including our president at Northeastern. Yes, um, Lorraine, just, uh, we, we do online, people can apply online as well, and now they're requiring the social security number, but for those who don't have a social security number, we're asking them to come into the college to get a paper application. Do you think that would scare undocumented students away? Yes, definitely. I'll tell you, uh, just from our experience at Northeastern, um, I think the best, the best thing we did is like move away from requiring a social security number. Um, we have a system that is in place now that even if students that apply online um, would automatically get an ID number generated once their application is submitted. Um, 
there are, there's still, like again, a lot of misconceptions about high school students going to college. Um, and if they can, if they can't, it's definitely gonna scare them away. You know, I mean, I don't know how, how that will affect your numbers, but it will definitely scare them away. Because I think one thing that institutions do very well, right? I mean, we don't care if the students are undocumented, right? We accept them, we take their money. But um, we don't have the resources in place, or at least not all institutions have the resources in place to provide services to this population, you know? So um, actually at Northeastern, this year we actually uh, changed our application and um, we just put undocumented. So if students self-identifies, then, you know, it's there. I mean, it's protected by FERPA. Um, you know, I mean, I know institutions are scared, but again, like, if we don't know who we're serving, how are we gonna serve them? And um, it is very difficult to track the numbers. I mean, even for the student access bill, like I was saying, um, I'm in this task force, right? Um, and for the student access bill, and it was just so difficult to try to get the numbers of students that are undocumented of four-year institutions in, in the state of Illinois because institutional research, first of all, they don't track them, right? And um, so, you know, it's, it's just very difficult. But the population is there, and we know that 65,000 graduate from high school high schools throughout the U.S. every year, and we know that they're going to college. So I think it's important that we also provide avenues for them to feel comfortable, you know, and um, and also I mean like you know then they have to fill out the affidavit and make sure they get in state you know tuition and stuff. Other questions. Hi, my name is Cindy and I oversee the college's Blue Island Education Center, so about 10 miles from here. And uh, Blue Island has a large uh, mm -hmm. Latino population. And my question to you is, first I wanna say I'm, I'm proud to say that the Latino population has increased in that area and I do think it's due to the access that the college has put in their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. The question that I have for you is, um, you talked along the lines of the undocumented students that might be afraid to uh, make that leap. Mm -hmm. So how or what recommendations would you give the college or other institutions to bridge that gap? Because um, if they're not coming to us out of fear, how do we make them feel comfortable? How do we get the information to them so they feel comfortable coming to the institution? Uh, thank you for asking that. I think that's really important. And I see that you guys are committed, right? I mean, just from having a conversation with Troy. Um, well, some things that we have done, and you know, like I, I had the satellite campus, so I know we have had, and my assistant director is here, Rebecca. Um, I know we have had challenges ourselves, you know, because I think most of the time there's this misinformation, right? Can students get their degree? Can I do anything with my degree? What am I gonna do? How am I gonna pay for school? Not knowing that there may be like institutional aid available and other things. Um, I think the best thing that has worked for that, for us, you know, because we also run a satellite campus and maybe Rebecca can chime in if she, if she wants to, is really getting to work with those high school counselors. Because uh, I can tell you that they can either give you access to the school, I mean, talking about gatekeepers, right, of the higher education system or the system in general. I mean, a high school counselor can either give you access or close the access to you. So I think the most, what, what has worked for us, and believe me, it hasn't been easy. It has taken, I, I would say, a couple of years because you have to build those relationships over time. 
is really like going out there and talking to the high school counselors. Even like doing presentations like, you know, this one, like doing presentations about like admissions at Moraine. You know, why is Moraine so beautiful, such a beautiful campus and also like so supportive to students or, or whatnot. Um, I think just being out there, you know, because then they trust you because it's not so easy for them to trust. Do you want to add something else? Even if the, we don't know which uh, the, the status of the students, we always tell about talk about the financial aid piece, and so we say like you know like there is FAFSA and you apply like this. But for undocumented students, we have these other resources, and if you want to talk to us after the presentation, we can talk to you. And also, as Maria mentioned, we have in our offices all those uh, speakers that say all oh, welcome. Maybe you can do something like that and say like, it doesn't matter your status, you are welcome and come, come talk to us. We always tell them like, uh, because the sad thing is sometimes parents and the students, they're just thinking like, ah, this is impossible, I won't be able to pay, they won't even accept me. And they, they stop before they even try. So I always tell them parents, we, we do a lot of presentations, we work with parents and to the students like, come and talk to us first before saying like, no, I don't want to apply. Apply, you don't, you don't have to come here if you don't want to, but apply. Talk to us, see what we can do, how we can work with you. But definitely with also with the high school students, and then if you are gonna transfer some students to a four-year institution, they also need some information regarding um, their status when they transfer, because sometimes they can get charged uh, out of state tuition even though if they bring an AA, if they don't have a high school diploma or a GD. So sometimes the students, they come and they already done their um, AAs, and, but they don't have a high school diploma from, from Illinois. So I sometimes I have to tell them like, go and do a GD, so that can help you to, to transfer to another institution. So there are like technical things that we need to know so we can uh, get them that access. Yeah, like Rebecca was saying, like, you know, when we give those presentations, again, reiterating, like, you know, I mean, in your case, like, we're really open to all students, including undocumented students, because we cannot single anybody out, right? But if you say we're open to all students, including undocumented students, then it sort of, like, opens up the door for them to perhaps approach you after, after the session and be able to ask you questions. So my position works with conduct and crisis, that sort of thing. And at other institutions, I had students who had to interact with police for one reason or another. Um, for example, a student was in an accident on campus, and um, she and her family were undocumented, and she kept that secret a long time and then blurted it out to the other person in the accident. You can imagine the panic mm -hmm. that that caused. So what can we talk with students about as far as, and maybe this gets to into detailed legal stuff, but when students are concerned about maybe having to report something to the police or if the police are involved in the situation um, and they're undocumented status, what would your advice be as far as what we can communicate? Well, I mean, I think, um, like I was saying, I mean, never, you have to find a balance, right? I mean, because you don't want to provide legal advice, but, you know, just, I mean, it's so important to, like, to, like, if, if they were the victims of a crime, to, um, to report it, right? I mean, and we, we actually have found, because we, our campus also has provided, I mean, this is another thing that you may wanna do, you know, I'm not sure if you, if you want to, but um, 
we have partnered with non-for-profit agencies, and I know there's a couple uh, around here that you may work with. They focus on, on issues with the community, and they, they know the populations well. Um, so at our location, we had um, we had offered uh, workshops on knowing DACA and what to do with DACA for the community, you know? So we partnered with a local agency that is called Logan Square Neighborhood Association. And um, bringing them in, you know, or having those partnerships with community agencies. Um, I mean, I think the best message you can give is like, if you were the victim of a crime, I mean, the police is there to protect you, they're not gonna deport you. Although it's very difficult, right? Because they're living in constant fear, but, um, even you know when we have because like some of these non for profits do have uh, the legal support um, through attorneys that either pro bono or they work with, uh, we send the students there and say you know what like go talk to them if you feel more comfortable because I can't give you legal advice but they can through their attorneys um, you know so you make sure that you're protected and um, we did when DACA first came out we did um, two huge uh, I don't know if any one of you remembers the. Um, Navy Pier and had the lines of people that were there to, to do the DACA program. But we had a couple of those sessions at our location and we served over like 200 families, um, which was really great. But what the attorneys that we partnered with from LAF found is that many of the people that were there could have immigration relief because they had been victims of a crime. And many times they don't know until they do those detailed questions. So sometimes if they were victims of a crime, they would be protected through other immigration means like, you know, perhaps a U visa for victims of crime or the V or, or the or um, BAWA which protects violence against women, you know. So there's all these other things, you know. And like I said, I mean like if you wanted something um, a more like training for your faculty or staff. Um, we can certainly, you know, like bring in the director of the Undocumented Rights Project because we work with them very closely when we develop that program. Thank you. Any other questions? Okay, how about a round of applause for Maria? Thank you. Thank you so much again. And I'll be around for, for a bit in case you have